Welcome to Atmosphere Church. My name is Jim Cruz and I'm the lead pastor. We're a new non-denominational life-giving church located in the Conejo Valley, just west of Los Angeles. Let me just say on behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this service. We pray that it'll touch your heart and change your life. In addition to bringing you today's service, we wanna make ourselves available to you in any way we can. Please leave a comment if you need prayer or if you wanna speak with one of our leaders in any struggle that you may be facing right now, we will be sure to respond to anything you need in your life. Here at Atmosphere, we believe that we should never forsake the gathering together with other believers. Don't use this recorded service as your church experience. Get involved in the local church to the extent that the people there know you by name. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our community. For more information about our church, go to our official webpage at atmosphere.church. Finally, there's a lot of man hours that are put behind making services and resources like this available that are meant to help you grow and develop as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you and really for others who are also desiring to grow in their faith. To make a financial donation, simply click on the link on our site that says donate and your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Remember, when you give to Atmosphere Church, you're actually giving through Atmosphere to change lives in our church in our city and literally around the world. We've already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the service. Lives are being changed, people are being healed, families are being restored, and I'm so excited what God has done the first year, and I'm even more excited for what God is about to do this year. And, and I have to tell you, for those of you that, that are new to our church family, um, we prayed shortly after we launched as a church. We had a prayer meeting with all of the leaders, and, and we, we circled up at the Yamex home, and, and we just asked God, God, what is it that you want us to do as a church? There's a reason that you uprooted Tara and I from our Las Vegas church family, and you moved us to begin this new church here in Thousand Oaks. God, make it so clear to us what you want to do and how you want to use our new church. And in that prayer meeting, I mean, it was so obvious that the presence of God fell on us so powerfully, God spoke and said, love. Love is your mantra, Atmosphere Church. Love is what I want you to do. Love is why I have sent you. I want a church community that knows how to love people really well. And so we all left after that, that church prayer meeting going, wow, you can't get more clear than that, that God is up to wanting to love this valley in a way this valley has never been loved on before. And, and, I, and I think about that because I don't have the history of this valley like some of you. Some of you were born and raised here. I was born and raised in the desert. In a way, I kind of feel like I'm John the Baptist, like coming in out of like, they're like, who are you, dude? I dress a little bit nicer than he did. Um, but I, I look at that and, and I think, man, what is God up to with Atmosphere Church? And, and if it's really about love, and it makes sense 
that God would want to use us to love. And every church ought to be focusing on love. But I just feel like there's this extra little anointing that, that God has placed over our church to love our community well. And, and I was reminded about the study that was done by a, a, a scientist, a sociologist in the 1940s named Rene Spitz. He, he established that love is so vital to infants that those deprived of it may perish for want of it. The study looked at a hospital where a group of children all under three years of age were fed and clothed adequately, but because of too few nurses, given very little personal attention, meaning no one talked to them, carried them around, or cuddled them, the human results were devastating. Within two years, fully a third of the children had died, and the rest were mentally handicapped. The conclusions seem to be clear. Loving attention is as essential as food for the human infant. That people need love is considered a basic truth by many scientists and can't do without love. U.S. News and World Report reported that biologists know beyond a shadow of a doubt that love is central to human existence. The capacity for loving emotions is written into our biochemistry. Your felt need to be loved is actually hardwired into you by your creator. And so it just makes sense that the church that Jesus established, where he went out of his way to talk about love, and it was echoed by other authors of the New Testament, it just makes sense. Like, this ought to be the focus. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to really look at what love is. Because what is love? And, And so many people have made their own definitions of it, and culture has tried to really kind of define it for us. I mean, think right now. There are more songs written about love than any other subject. Let's play a little game with me for a second. Think right now in your head. You you close your eyes. That makes you think harder. All right? But think of a song right now about love. And and just just get it locked in your head. Okay, on the count of three, yell it back to me. What song comes to your mind when you think about love? One, two, three, go. All you need is love. You, ah, ah, Bon Jovi, you give love a bad name. Love is a battlefield. Some Pat Benatar. That's right. Well, I tell you, yeah, we could go on and on here. For some reason, when I hear that, I think of this stupid movie called Night at the Roxbury. <laughs> what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. You're welcome. You're welcome. Took a lot of prep to do that. But here, honestly, I I was looking at one internet site and and the most popular, well-known love song that people think of most often when they think about love is this song. You know this one. Everyone sing it. Oh, 
Come on, you guys are awesome. I just saw somebody look over and go, what kind of church are we at? Is this karaoke night? What the heck? We believe that church should be fun. And we believe that it should be life-giving and spirit-driven. And, and so that's what, that's what you found yourself a part of, this crazy family. But I, I want to read to you the words of Jesus from John chapter 13, the Gospel of John. If you have your Bible, the Gospel of John chapter 13, I'll put the verses on the screen, verses 34 and 35. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus is saying that when you and I love each other in such a dynamic way that people will automatically connect the dots back to him. Isn't that crazy to think that Jesus said? By how you guys actually love one another, they're going to know that you are my followers. We're going to unpack this idea because he is not the only one to talk about this in the New Testament. We're going to go over several verses. You might want to jot some of these verses down as we unpack them. But let me pray this. Father, I thank you so much for this amazing new family that you placed in Terranai's life and all of the leadership here, God, that, that you cultivated something that is so beautiful, the most beautiful blended family I have ever seen or been a part of. And I'm so grateful and thankful for every single person that you've placed in this new family and even the lives that are being placed in our family now and in the future. And God, open our eyes to see how you want us to love people well. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Okay, so the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of our New Testament, chimed in on this subject of love. And he did it so well that he didn't leave a question mark on, on what love looks like. He defined it for us. Matter of fact, there's a chance that if you've been to a lot of weddings in your history, that as you went to these weddings, you might have heard this portion of scripture read at the wedding. But he goes in and he starts talking and breaking down the definition of love to where there's no question about what real, genuine, biblical Jesus love looks like. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he breaks that down. We're going to be covering that for the next several weeks. But before he even gets into the description of love, he talks about the importance of love. This is what he says in verse 1. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have a gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So the Apostle Paul, he, he's, he's seen a landscape of the church where they're doing supernatural signs and wonders. 
God is giving people languages that they never knew. They were speaking it fluently and people were interpreting it. People had wisdom and knowledge of, of scripture that, that they weren't trained to be able to have. And he's seeing all of these supernatural, only heaven can explain things happen. But he says, if you are doing any supernatural things and you are missing the main ingredient of love, it sounds like this. Sorry, Michael, it's your drum set. It just, have you ever talked to somebody and just the vibe that they got to you and you're just like, you know, you talk to them and they talk back and all, all that's all you hear. They're like, that, that's the idea. Paul's like, you just, you sound horrible. You're just a big noisy gong. Nobody really wants to hear that. And listen to how it says, uh, it ends in, in verse 13 of the same chapter. It says, but now faith, hope, love, Abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. The most important, essential, quality, ingredient, virtue of your life and my life as a follower of Jesus is summed up with one word, my friends, and that is love. So it's imperative that we get this right. It's imperative. That as we step into this new season as a church, we begin not just knowing what love is, but how we can practically apply it to our lives. Listen to how Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. So Christ is the way we are supposed to love people. He's showing it. He loved us and offered himself a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. He says, when you're living a life filled with love, we call it living the love. When you live this love out, he says, you are living as a fragrant aroma to God. Have you ever walked by somebody that just smelled really nice? You know, have you ever, <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know what's going on there, but have you ever walked in the mall? And, and you walk by, uh, Bath and Body Works. They have all the new fall scents out there. And I don't know what it is about the fall, but I, the pumpkin. And anybody else, like, am I losing my man card by admitting this? Like, <laughs> I just, I, I like, I like fragrant aroma. You go by Abercrombie and Fitch, you're like, I know. I just said, there's, there's, it smells great. So nothing smells as good as you loving other people in the nostrils of God. That's wild. Colossians 3 verse 14. He says, above all, be loving. This ties everything together perfectly. There's a lot of things we do in our lives. But when you are actively loving people in the same way, that Jesus has loved you, you're tying all things together. In other words, when, when we're out there loving people, we're helping people connect the dots to what life is all about. And by them connecting the dots with life is all about, we are helping them get connected to the creator who is love. First John chapter four, John, the beloved, he wrote a lot of letters. Matter of fact, in our Bible readings. We're going through the, the book of 1 John right now. 
And, and he would talk about love more than any other subject. He just wrote a lot of things down about love, but he wasn't always like this. There was a transformation that took place in his life that cultivated him being this spokesman for love. He was this hardline fisherman guy. At one point, him and his brother were like, these guys weren't in compliance with Jesus. And they were like over there going, hey, let's just pray fire out of heaven so they're devoured in God's name. And Jesus is like, nah, that's not my style, man. Like, you guys back off a little bit. This is, this is how we approach people that are our enemies. We love them. This is, this is a whole new mindset that Jesus was introducing to his disciples. But John caught it. Not just in the fact that Jesus died for his sins, but that he resurrected and that the spirit of Jesus began living in John. And the inflow of God became the outflow of John. That as he received the love of God inside, it just naturally became part of who he was. It just flowed out of him. And so he writes this in 1 John chapter 4. He said, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So John is saying, God is love. And when you start manifesting that love by loving other people, you make the invisible God visible. Think about that for a second. How many times have you heard somebody argue like, how do you believe in God? You can't see him. And John's saying, when we love effectively, then people are seeing God through our love that we have for other people. That is just mind-blowing. But this, this resonates with me. I have met people. They've been my friends. They've been a part of our other church communities that have clinically been dead. In other words, medically, they were flatlined. Their heart stopped, and yet they came back to life with stories of experiencing real experiences while they were flatlined. And these three individuals that I know personally and sat down with me and told me their stories all had a common story. They, it, their experience was all slightly different, but they had a common denominator with their experience. All of them went what they believed was heaven. And they were in heaven and they could feel the presence of God. And the, the presence of God was full of light. But they said the one thing that stood out to them more than any other thing that they experienced being flatlined was the feeling of love. They said, Pastor Jim, we have never in our life experienced that feeling of love like we felt when we were in the presence of God or wherever we were in heaven in the space when they were clinically dead. This lines up with the Bible. If, if God is in heaven and he's saying, I am love, and then when you are a part of me, you become my instruments of love so that people can see me, this makes sense to me. 
But what's so frustrating to me as a pastor is not only have we distorted love, we have actually distorted God. That when people think of God, love is not the first thing they think of. They think of all kinds of things when they think of God. And some people are so adamant about their images of God that you got to be careful because the image that you created of God becomes the person that you are because you become like the God that you worship. And so if the image of God is anything but love, you will naturally be migrating towards these these ideas of God that aren't necessarily who God is. God judges, absolutely. But God says, hey, when you're loving, you are representing me better than in any other kind of space that you could be in. That is so powerful and important for us to get our arms around that God is love, and we've got to get this down. We've got to figure this out and what this looks like, practically speaking. It goes back to Bon Jovi. You give love a bad name. That's good. Because how many of you have ever talked to an unchurched friend, a non-believing friend, and talked to him about God? And they came back with answers like, I don't want to go to church, man. There's people there that are hypocrites, judgmental, self-righteous. See, I, I've had conversations with people that are, are not churched. When I ask them to describe what they believe a Christian is, I've pretty much gotten a lot of answers, but I've never got the answer they're a group of people that love people better than any other people on the planet. And when I read the Bible, when people think of followers of Jesus, they ought to be vocalizing that in these conversations. Like, man, I've never been to church, but I tell you what, man, the, the people that I know that are into Jesus are the most loving people I know on this planet. That ought to be what people say about it. Matter of fact, in the early church, this is what really created and cultivated such fast growth with this new movement of Jesus. It says uh, in this book I was reading, it says many historians believe that central to the rise of Christianity was the simple fact that Christians generously loved each other and their neighbors. They point out that in the ancient world, mercy was widely seen as a character defect that ran counter to justice. Justice demanded people get what they deserved and what was seen as appropriate, where mercy extended grace, love, and kindness to people who had done nothing to deserve it. Yet the Christians valued mercy. Christian communities became places where people tended to the uh, tended to live longer and healthier lives for when they suffered sickness, poverty, or mishap. They had brothers and sisters in Christ who provided for their need. And Christians extended love way beyond the boundaries of family and congregations to their even pagan neighbors. In 251 AD, for example, a great plague struck the Greco-Roman world and memories were revived of a plague a century earlier in which more than a third of the population died. Fear was everywhere. Those who could afford it fled to the countryside. Those who could not remained in the cities. When they went to the temples, they found them empty. The priests had, having fled. The streets were filled with those who had become infected. Their families left with no option but to push them out the door. Christian communities, however, took an entirely different approach. They saw it as their responsibility to love the sick and dying, so they took them into their homes and nursed them. 
This action meant that many people recovered who otherwise would have died. Historians suggest that elementary nursing could have reduced the mortality rate by as much as two-thirds, but also cost a number of Christian caretakers their very own lives. It was love that was the catalyst to spread the gospel around the world. And I believe this is the same catalyst. If we want Jesus to become great again, I know that sounds weird, all right? Because we we have another hat that says something else. But um, but if we want Jesus to be great again, it's it's found in loving, loving people well. Let, let's talk, let's define it according to how Jesus demonstrated it for us. Write these down. Number one, love is generous. What you see in the life of Jesus is a love that is generous. John three sixteen, the most Famous Bible verse in our Bibles and people that haven't even ever been to church know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave. That there's a generosity attached to this kind of love. That, that you can give without loving, but let me tell you, biblical love, you can't love without giving. There's always going to be something that you give to demonstrate that love for another person. And this is really countercultural to our self-centered notion of me first, you second. Because now you're asking this, this relationship to go another level that I'm supposed to give up something that can make my life easier and better for the sake of somebody else. And Jesus would say, that's exactly how I loved you. I gave everything so that you could be made right with God. So be willing to give everything so that other people can be connected to God just like you are. Wow, that's crazy love. And and we could do this practically. It's not, you don't need a theology degree to love like this. This I mean, everybody can do this. And we have moments and, and, and situations every single day of our practical lives to demonstrate this. We did something years ago that a lot of people found to be super outrageous, but it was just fun for me. And I was like thinking about people in the drive-thru that, that go and get their food like I do. And one day I just had this thought, what if I paid for somebody behind me and blessed them and then gave them a card and invited them to church or and just told them that this is just a way to show God's love in a practical way. Enjoy your double-double animal style on me. All right? Just, you know, if I could talk in and out burger language with you. It, it's like so simple. And... And so I I threw this out as a challenge to the church and then they took it and they ran with it. And pretty soon we started hearing crazy stories about how the drive-through generosity ministry was changing lives. Like one day a lady went to a Starbucks and somebody in front of her paid for her latte and gave her a card. And she was just so overwhelmed that somebody would like pay for her coffee. And she didn't need somebody to pay for coffee, but she just like, I've got to go meet this group of people that would just like randomly pay for a stranger's coffee. So she came to church the next week. The message was exactly what she needed to hear and exactly what she was going through. And she made a decision to become a follower of Jesus at that service. And she wrote us an email afterwards and said, if it wasn't for your crazy church and the lady buying my latte in front of me, I may have never stepped foot into this building, and God used this service to change my life forever. Thank you, 
to whoever this person was that bought me my free latte. Who knew that a latte from Starbucks could change somebody's life for eternity? Crazy. I had another story of a lady, a single mom, that was at a Taco Bell. And she was there with her son. And, and they had scratched and changed together. And they were going to go buy themselves some lunch at Taco Bell. And we all know, you know, that the, the loose change in the car. And she's just like, I, I'm going to pay for my son and I to have this meal. And she gets up to the window and the cashier says, your meal's been paid for. And she said, you're kidding me. And immediately she starts weeping. Because the person in front of her had no idea that she was a struggling single mom that was barely able to get enough change to feed her and her son a lunch from Taco Bell. And it changed this woman's life. She was so moved by it. She emailed the church and said, I'm telling you that you guys are changing lives, even if it's just as simple as buying us a couple tacos. Keep encouraging your people to do this because I felt so loved in that moment, more loved than I've ever felt in my life by some free Taco Bell lunch. I'm telling you, it's not that difficult. Somebody in this church last week was at a restaurant and got the nudge to pay for somebody else's food at another table. And they paid for this person's food. And the waitress came over and was like, you sure it's that person? And they said, yeah. And the waitress was another waitress that was helping her. Said, Why that person? They, they were super rude to me. But they, they went over there and they said, hey, your meal's been paid for. This generous person wanted to take care of your meal. And the lady began crying and weeping. See, there's a reason there's some people that are grumpy in this world. It may have nothing to do with you. It may have something to do with what they've been through. And your act of generosity could change the trajectory of not just their day, but their entire life. Come on, somebody. Just by being generous the way that Jesus has been generous towards us. I have some cards. If you want to take me up on this challenge, I'd love me some more emails. Do you know a lady was in our church uh, service, the first service, and she said, Pastor Jim, this is crazy you talked about this. She goes, this week I was at Starbucks and somebody paid for my drink and they gave me an invite card to Atmosphere Church. I go, what? I haven't even talked about this yet. It's already happening. But love some people generously. Take somebody out to lunch. Buy somebody's food in the drive-thru. Just do something outrageous to where people won't even know how to think about it. Number two is love is sacrificial. Love is sacrificial. It's not only just being generous. It's about putting somebody else's needs before your own. First John 3.16, I call this the other 3.16. And that is we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. There's something about putting other people's needs before your own that is so beautiful. And, and let me just say, we all have needs in here. And if you're married in here, you know you live this out daily, that you have a choice, an option. It, I have needs, my spouse has needs, and if I put my needs before my spouse's needs, it's probably going to spell relational conflict. But it's so beautiful. When you go out of your way to put your spouse's needs before your own needs, it just makes everything more cohesive in the relationship. That goes not just for marriage. That goes for every relationship in our life. When you give yourself and put the other person's needs before your own, you completely upgrade the relationship that you have with somebody else. That's a word for some relationships in this room today. How do you upgrade that relationship? How do you make it sweeter? How do you make it better? You breathe the love of God into that relationship, and the love of God looks like you putting their needs before your own. Every day I have to practice this with my wife. 
And I have a lot of knees, and I'm like, I'll take care of Tara's knees when she takes care of mine. Do you think that goes well for me? No. No, it does not. She says, Tara, don't play that way. But let me tell you something about my wife. She takes good care of me. I'll just leave it there and get some points right now. But it's not, how do we love people sacrificially in the church? How do we love people at work? How do we love people in our neighborhood? See, here's what you need to know. Once you get out of your headspace of all the things that you have going on, and you start focusing on the people around you and what they have going on, powerful things can start taking place. Because then you see, oh, that neighbor, he's struggling with his car. What if I go over there and just offer to help? I don't know much about cars, but maybe I can, there's a tool, maybe I can call somebody or whatever. Just going out of your way to say, is, is there something I can do to help you in your need? I, I like to say this, find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. And this is the kind of sacrificial love that Jesus demonstrated for you that we have the opportunity to demonstrate to other human beings. And when we do, people are going to see the manifestation of the invisible God in their lives. Thirdly, is love is forgiving. This is probably the most challenging one. This is where when Jesus says, I'm saying love your enemies, you're like, eh, you had me before that. But now that's another level, Jesus. Because here's two things I know about you. Oh, I know about you. Not just because of social media, because we all have something in common. All of us in this room have been hurt by another human being. It could have been when you were a kid. It could have been yesterday while you were driving down the road. But we all have been hurt. We've been injured by the words or the deeds of another human being. But here's what I also know about you. You've been on the other end of that, and you've been the one inflicting injury on another human being. Come on, you know, there's words that came out of your mouth and you're like, why did I say that? And then there's that ripple collateral damage effect that happens because you can't get those words back. You can't undo those deeds. And Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrated his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Our enemies, as another translation reads it. That, that God stepped out of the way for you and for me, while we were still separated and disconnected from God. And, and we can be so much better at this than we are. But it takes the power of God living in us. Because, again, remember John. The outflow was a byproduct of the inflow of the love that he was tasting from God. This is how Paul writes it in Colossians 3.13. He says, get along with each other and forgive each other. If someone does wrong to you. Forgive that person because the Lord forgave you. He says, put it in context. And when you think of that person and what they did to hurt you, think about how Christ chose to look beyond your hurt that you've inflicted upon humanity and still loved you and forgave you. Church, I'm not saying this kind of love is easy. But I'm saying this is our mantra and this is so important for us to get right. We're going to pack this for several weeks. We're going to look at what real love is. You know, a few years ago, it's been a few decades ago, 
there was a scandal involving then-President Bill Clinton and a young intern named Monica Lewinsky. And when the scandal took place, Billy Graham had a meeting with Bill Clinton. And the church at the time was coming undone that Billy Graham would be caught in the same meeting space as Bill Clinton. And just in his Billy Graham finesse, he said something that I believe we could all glean from today in whatever things are maybe in your life. This is what he said and how he answered his critics. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and my job to love. That is the goal. That is how we're going to connect the dots to a world that desperately needs the life of God breathing in them. They're going to find it through our incredible, real, genuine God love. Would you stand with me? Hey, thank you for tuning in today to another message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on YouTube, iTunes Podcast, Facebook, Twitter, and even on Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms and click either the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. And until next time, we pray you'll keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love. God bless you.